0: We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose, come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue. Well, good morning. Welcome to Montrose Bible Church on this, the third Sunday of Advent. Our focus this Advent season has been on the King of Glory. Two weeks ago, we looked at who is this King of Glory. We learned that the King of Glory is none other than the Lord Jesus. Strong and mighty, strong in battle, the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the King of Glory. Last week, we were asked the question, how will the King of Glory come? Hebrews Chapter 2 sums this up nicely. Let's turn there. It says, starting in verse 5, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We see that he came to put everything under his subjection, and we see him crowned with glory, not based on the throne on which he sits, but rather by his suffering and death. When we think of the death of a king, it symbolizes the end of a reign, or a defeat by his enemies. But Christ was different. He died to conquer Revelation one seventeen to 18 says this, says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Christ is alive, And he holds the keys to death in Hades. But this brings us to our question for this morning. When will the King of Glory come? Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, (coughs) we thank you so much that we can come, that we can uh, be here uh, this morning to worship you. We just pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would just uh, reveal your word to us. I pray that you would uh, give us understanding of your word. And I pray that we would uh, just long for you, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> when will the King of Glory come? This is a question that mankind has been asking for thousands of years. The Jewish people have been waiting for the one who would be from the line of David, who would deliver them from their enemies since the kingdom split after the reign of Solomon. Yet when he did come, most of them missed it, because he, being Jesus, didn't fit into their preconceived notion of what the king of glory would do when he came. Christians, too, have been asking this question for the last 2,000 years as well. When will Jesus come again? When will the King of Glory come back? And as interesting as it is to try and pinpoint the exact date Jesus is coming back, it is simply something we are not meant to know. Over the last 2,000 years, hundreds if not thousands have set a date for the return of the Lord. And all those dates have come And gone. And here we are, still waiting. So when we ask the question, when will the King of Glory come? We aren't asking if he's coming on the 19th or if he's coming on the 28th. We aren't asking if he's coming in the year 2023 or if he's coming in the year 3023. Rather, the question is more of a yearning for the King of Glory. When will the King of Glory come? Or maybe we could rephrase it to say, King of Glory, when will you come? This is to be our heart's desire. A desire for the Lord to come back. An eager anticipation of the King of Glory. And isn't that what we celebrate during the Advent season? So today we are going to look at Psalm 102 to see an example of one who was longing for the King of Glory. Psalm 102 is a psalm of affliction. We don't know its author, although some speculate that it could be one of the prophets like Daniel, Jeremiah, or Nehemiah. We also don't know when it was written. It could have been written before the exile, and the psalmist was talking of Jerusalem being in a metaphoric state of ruin. Or it could have been written during the Babylonian captivity, and the author was mourning the actual physical destruction of Jerusalem. We simply do not know. What we do know is the heart of the author, because he pours it out here for us. Let's read Psalm 102, starting in verse 1. Psalm 102, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days of my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come, for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory, for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory, he regards the prayer of the destitute, and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem His praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in midcourse; He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The author starts off the psalm with a plea to God to hear his prayer. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Sometimes in our darkest times, it's easy for us to feel like God doesn't hear us. It's easy for us to feel as though God doesn't care, but nothing could be farther from the truth. For those that are his, he always hears. He always listens. Consider the words of David in Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The Lord knows our every circumstance, and he not only hears our prayers, but he knows them before they are even spoken. And yet he still wants us to pour out our hearts to him. He wants to hear our thoughts, know our sufferings, and hear our petitions. So that is exactly what our author is going to do. He is going to tell the Lord about his affliction, his pain, and his suffering. Look back with me to Psalm 102, verses 3 through 11. It says this, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days of my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. When we look at these verses, it's hard not to have pity on this author. (coughs) His life passes away as meaningless and quick as smoke. Think back to the summer when we had a couple of days of that horrendous smoke from the wildfires in Canada. That smoke and haze was incredible. And yet, as intense as that was, it's gone and kind of forgettable. That was this man's life. His bones ache as though they are burning from the inside, which sounds incredibly painful. And he is so discouraged that he describes his heart as withering like grass He feels so alone He compares himself to a desert owl A bird that wanders around the wilderness All alone He forgets to eat And is literally described As just skin and bone If those physical things were bad enough He has enemies Taunting him Using his name as a curse word this guy is in a rough place. Yet look where his focus goes to. Verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. In these verses, we see the author looking forward to when the king of glory would reign. The first thing we see of this reign is that it has no end. This was the promise to David that the Jews would have been looking for in their Messiah. Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 7 to hear this promise of the Lord to David. Second Samuel chapter 7. starting in verse 5. It says this, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about In a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. You see, this promise from God would be twofold. God would raise up Solomon, and Solomon would build for God a house. And he did. But it was also talking of one yet to come, the one whose kingdom would be forever. And this was certainly not talking about Solomon. This was the one the Jews were longing for. This is the one the psalmist was longing for. We also see that his reign will be remembered in every generation. There will always be some who know the Lord. I think sometimes it's easy for us to feel alone, to feel as though no one else cares about the things of the Lord. And yet we only need to look to the prophet Elijah after he defeats the prophets of Baal and finds himself running for his life as Jezebel tries to kill him. He cries out to the Lord, saying that he is all alone. He is the only one left. And yet he finds out there are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed to Baal. You see, every generation will know of the reign of the King of Glory. There will always be the Lord's people. The next thing we need to know is that his reign will happen at its appointed time. Now, Scripture is clear that we do not know the time when the king of glory will return to reign, but this doesn't change how we are to live. We are to live every day with eager anticipation that it could be the day the king of glory returns. Next thing we see about his reign is that he cares Charles Spurgeon says this about verse 14. He says, if every stone of God's city was precious to his servants, then by analogy, so is every stone representing the people of God in his great building, the church. The poorest church member, the most grievous backslider, the most ignorant convert should be precious in our sight because they form a part, although possibly a a very feeble part, Of the new Jerusalem. The last thing we see about his reign in these verses is that it will be over all. It's hard for us sometimes as we see so many people in opposition to the Lord, so defiant to what he has called us to, and so depraved in their sin. Yet we know one day Jesus will rule over all of them. Philippians 2 says it best. It says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a comfort it is to know the King of glory will reign and every knee will bow. So we see the king of glory will reign, but we also see that the king of glory will redeem. Look back at Psalm 102, and let's read verses 18 through 22. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. As we touched on in the last section, the author has confidence that God will reach his people across generations. In working with youth for the better part of the last 20 years, I've often heard youth speakers and youth workers concerned for being relevant. They're worried that it, if they aren't up on the latest pop culture or aren't wearing the latest fashion trends, that they won't be able to minister to youth and teens. This kind of thought is now creeping into our churches as a whole, and we feel the need to entertain and attract. And yet this isn't what we are called to. We need to take that which has been recorded in the word of God and proclaim it. Because it was written for the time period of the author and for every generation to follow. And if we faithfully proclaim it, the Lord will be praised. And this is the message that the author once recorded for the generation yet to come, that God looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth. He heard the groans of the prisoners, and he set free those who were doomed to die. Now, the author of the time was most likely talking about actual prisoners, most likely talking about people who were sentenced to death, and an actual intervention by the Lord to set these people free and save them from their death sentence. But looking back at this psalm, it's hard not to see the gospel in these verses. We were dead in our trespasses, slaves to sin, and yet God looked down from heaven and had compassion on us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 to see a New Testament comparison to these verses. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. There are so many similarities in these sections. Both peoples were sentenced to death and doomed to die. Both people were incapable of saving themselves. They were helpless and desperate. In both cases, it was God who looked down and had compassion or mercy and delivered the people from their sentence of death. And in both cases, we have the people giving credit where credit is due. The Lord gets the glory. The Lord gets all the praise. So we see the King of Glory will reign, the King of Glory will redeem, and the King of Glory will remain the same. Let's look at verses 23 through 28 of Psalm 102. He has broken my strength in midcourse. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. The psalmist started out talking about his frailty and lack of strength in verses 1 through 11, and then turned to God's deliverance in verses 12 through 22. He returns to the thought that he is weak in verses 23 and 24, but that God is all-powerful, and that he created the heavens and the earth, and that although the earth will pass away, God will remain the same. There is a great comfort in knowing that the King of glory will remain the same. One of my struggles as a young believer was that I thought of God as a reactionary God. I thought of him creating the world and everything in it, and then man messed up the whole plan by sinning. So God reacted to that by kicking man out of the Garden of Eden and introducing death into the world. Then a few years later, he looked at the world and said, people are really bad. Uh, I'm going to wipe them all out, except this one family. Uh, but we're going to change some things again to make people's life shorter so they can't get in as much trouble. Then a little while after that, he made a promise to a guy named Abraham to change his interaction with people once again. And then he would change things again when Moses came around and so on and so on. It seemed to me like God was always putting out these fires that man had created this view of God could not be farther from the truth. To hold to the view that God simply reacts to what we do is to think so small of God and not recognize his sovereignty at all. You see, God doesn't change. He doesn't react to what we do. He has a plan. It is the same plan that he has had since before the foundation of the world. He knew when he created man that man would sin. He knew that the only way to reconcile man back to God would be through the death of his son. And so when we talk about a God who remains the same, we are talking about a God who has authored everything perfectly and will not change his mind. The psalmist concludes this psalm by saying this. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Meaning, Lord, even if I don't see your deliverance, I know deliverance is coming. And maybe it will be to my children's generation, maybe to their children's generation, but it is coming so when looking at the question when will the king of glory come we don't know when he will come what we do know is that the king of glory will come and when he does come the king of glory will reign over all let's pray Dear Lord, we just uh, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the truth that we find in it. Lord, I just pray uh, that we would eagerly anticipate your coming, Lord. I pray that we would look forward to the day when you will reign. Lord, I thank you that as the King of glory, you have redeemed us. And Lord, I thank you that you will remain the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, again, give us a longing for you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry and mantras, come worship with us 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.